we think about what we do, it's like, it's not really something that marketing directors tend to have a uh, versatility in or an education in. Um, they know that content creation is important, but there's also a sea of content creators. And as you know, you and I spoke about before the podcast started is sometimes content creators aren't really versed in um, marketing. Like they don't know how to make it a formula that will convert in the end. And so uh, having an agency that, that puts those pieces together, that finds like a content formula, provides you the videographers and the content creators, but then also knows the vision and the, and the vision, like the empire that you're building. I wanna cause no problems. Mm. I just wanna live my life, but I keep on hearing about nonsense. Me and my dons ain't mobsters, but you know when you see imposters, we know how to read them faces, same way you know how to read them comments. If you wanna talk, let's talk, but around here, make sure you're walking, your talk is constant. Well, hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Death of an L podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Burkhart, and we have Mia on the show today as a guest, and I'm super excited that this kicks off our very first creator uh, series um season whatever it is you want to call it um, and and really this whole thing is to be able to really connect the dots with the people who are doing work on the front lines and how that's affecting and informing and inspiring the decisions of people in you know whether it's the executive suite as a cmo or whether or not it's a marketing director but just continuing to push that envelope and seeing what's actually working on the front lines and being able to make decisions accordingly. So Mia, thank you so much for being on the show. If you would uh, brag about yourself a little bit, just share a little bit about what you do and uh, where you work. And yeah, and then we'll kick it off with that. Sounds good. Well, I appreciate you having me. Uh, my name is Mia Gilbertson. I'm a director of strategy at Wake Up Pueblo. And Wake Up Pueblo was founded through a very interesting process. Undercover Billionaire, the TV show, uh, came down to Pueblo, Colorado. Grant Cardone was dropped here with uh, no money, no identity. And from there, uh, me and Matt Smith and two other girls kind of figured out how to build this agency. Since then, um, my role has started out as a videographer, has kind of grown into more of like a production manager trying to figure out how does the creative side operate with the efficiencies that we can create within the department. Then from there, realizing that we still needed to bridge the creative side with the marketing side. So I kind of grew into the strategic role where um, I create an overarching plan for the creative to merge the marketing and I work with both teams really synonymously. So it's very exciting. That's awesome. So like I told you before the, the podcast started, this is interesting for me because I'm having to ask different questions, but I think what would be interesting for you to talk about is uh, what is it that you do on a typical day? Like walk us through an average day on your Monday through Friday or Monday through Sunday, however it is they work you there. <laughs> yeah, of course, that. gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, to be honest, it's a very, it's, it's never the same. It's never the same. So for the most part on a day-to-day, -day, uh, I'm first planning out content. So I do all the onboarding for our new clients. Um, so I try to start out my week that way, trying to figure out, you know, meeting with them, doing a discovery process to figure out what their goals, objectives, brand, personality looks like. And most of the time our clients have never really been they, they have a brand and the way they understand brand is text and color, but now we're bringing in a whole authentic, genuine level to that. And I have to figure out what that looks like and how we work synonymously, but then also to give them a really clear picture of what that looks like. And sometimes giving a clear picture for creative work can be a little bit difficult. So I start my week out with that. Um, onboarding looks like um, taking a lot of notes, a lot of meetings, but then also trying to synthesize that into as few words as possible for the creative team, but then also for the marketing team. Uh, from there, I also uh, place content for our clients to make sure that it's going out on the proper platforms. And um, 
to be honest, my, my job is kind of a mix of three different jobs. So I've got the wake up side, which is our client facing, but then we're also building our own internal brands for the mattress company. Uh, Matt hmm. Smith is running. So my boss kind of has three different business lines. So I'm more of a marketing director for the mattress side and then more of a strategist for the, the client side. Um, and that's a, this is a really convoluted way to explain it to you, but it's definitely um, onboarding clients, then trying to shift my way down to the mattress company and figuring out, um, you know, what new educational pieces can we give to our customers so that they understand our product and understand uh, what our purposes and our values are. Um, then I also work with franchisees. So as we franchise across the nation, I actually coordinate with them to help them understand what our marketing looks like. Um, so we have kind of like cookie cutter packages that I put them in, but then also figure out how I can customize it to them personally. Um, I also worked on the interior design of it's, it, and it all sounds like it's like, why you just discovered your entire job, but honestly, it all happens in one day in many ways. It's all kind of like, we just get hit with different priorities and I'm just trying to fit it all in a single day. Right. Yeah. No, that sounds like quite the variety, um, <laughs> which if you're into that, that's amazing. Um, certainly don't get bored. So if I had to describe it based on what I saw on the show and what I'm hearing from you now, my interpretation is that Wake Up Pueblo is kind of like the marketing arm of the mattress company, as well as a standalone for other people. Is that kind of correct? Correct. And, correct. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, in some ways uh, we try to treat the mattress company as just another client, um, right. but we are kind of shifting in this direction where we're going to create them as very, very clear two different paths, but we're all operating in the same building. So creating those clear boundaries has been a little bit difficult, but yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, no, that's uh, I'm sure that's been difficult to navigate, but at the same time, super exciting. And I think um, I know I'm, on my end, um, sorry, sorry, there was a weird sound over here and I couldn't figure out what it was. Um, on my end, I think that's interesting because as a business owner and someone who's followed some of these guys on there, it's like, um, you know, one of my dreams is to be able to take my marketing business and be able to launch businesses. And so you guys are kind of faux doing that in a way because you're like intimately involved in one business that you're like really scaling with your the whole team of people there, along with servicing clients. And I think that's an interesting dynamic and um, just a cool opportunity to learn. Absolutely. And, you know, to that point, the, the interesting thing is, um, marketing is so intertwined with the success of your business and all its other operations, right? From, you know, your sales team needs to be really well coordinated with your marketing team to make sure the sales match up and they know what they're offering. But then also like, I think it's very difficult to be a marketer in tune with other businesses and helping other businesses grow when you're not in tune with what it takes to build one, right? Mm. So I, what I've noticed is as we build our own, you know, job on the side, our own brand on the side, we're going through a lot of like the learning process of what it takes to build, build a brand and be more authentic because again, marketers can come in and kind of paint you however they want, you know, paint you blue, red, pink, but it's just an outer coat and to really understand what's on the inside and like what it takes to be an authentic, true brand that even feels authentic to the business and serves them for a long time, not just for the present. Um, you kind of have to go through that process and we get to make a lot of mistakes on this side and not make mistakes on our client side. You know what I mean? If we want to test something yeah. new, we test it over here and then we apply it over here. Yeah, that's, that's definitely been our road. It's like, we need to test it on ourselves first because then you can, 
just feel more confident that it's the right choice for someone else because ultimately uh, businesses are unique, but not necessarily what works. <laughs> so um, let's see here. So to double back, so strategy, is you the, str the strategist hat? Is that who's really the first person they're talking to? Because you said you're onboarding clients. So that's like, you're just basically getting the ducks in the row to make sure that the brands are where they need to be. And you guys understand where the brands are at before you even start making a single piece of content. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So the very, very first possible point of contact is no, or content. First point of contact is our AEs, you know, account executives. But then from right. there, the very first like actual labor comes down to me. So I put the ducks in the row um, and we definitely did not do that in the beginning. In the first, we just went straight into creating content, had some ideas based on their business, but that bit us in the butt very, very quickly. So onboarding became very intensive. So it bit you in the butt in what way? Just like the fact that you'd have like a, a lot of back and forth on changes to content or how did exactly did that look? Yeah, so uh, definitely a lot of changes to content, which doubled our labor on our end. But then also like it was kind of like, I think they all seemed part of, like they seemed happy throughout the process. But then finally, like after maybe a couple months of posting, they'd be like, this is never what I wanted. Like, this is not what I imagined. It's not my vision, right? And it's it's kind of like, yes, on like on, when you bring your client in and you let them see the micro level, you know, they might be happy with each step. But when you don't give them the big vision to begin with, and you're not really clear about the big vision, you know, as a client customer relationship, then um, when you finally see the big picture, you're going to realize that you were seeing very two very different pictures because you both had a different idea of how this was going to end. Um, so the onboarding is trying to kind of like skip to the end of the book before the book starts. Right. No, that's fair. Just to play devil's advocate, mm -hmm. like, because I... I always believe that uh, as the as the service, you should always improve and have those conversations and learn better questions to ask. But was any of that linked to any lack of clarity on their end about what their brand was to begin with? I mean, because like, how do you say yes to something and be like, oh, just kidding? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 100%, 100%. But that's, that's the onboarding process. The onboarding process is trying to, uh, like normally what it looks like is, I do get an idea of what they think their brand is. And then I tried to kind of guide them saying, I know that this is what you imagine it to be. This is how we can tweak it to be maybe a little bit more applicable to your client. But then also um, if they don't know at all, then it's, it's our job to come up with something that makes them happy. So in some ways we almost play a, some of the roles of a branding company, which you want to, you want to be really careful with, especially if you know, you're not a branding agency because there's a lot of fundamentals in there that we may not be classically trained on. But um, yeah, it's definitely trying to work through all of their questions and all of their preconceived notions of who they should be or how they should look so that by the time you're creating content, you're all on the same page. Totally. No, that makes sense. I I've definitely had some snafus of my own where <laughs> I could have sworn we were going in the right direction. And then boy, was I super wrong. And at the end of the day, yeah. you're scratching your head like, where, what happened? Like, you said yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. At the end of the day, like it's about that familiarity with um, the industry of realizing, like knowing what they don't know yet, which is challenging when you're also figuring that out at the same time. 100%. Um, yeah. So, okay. So then 
when okay so for the people that you're working with are they typically like uh like business owners are they like small business owners like a couple of employees like do they have marketing departments that you're coordinating with or like what is it or is it a smattering of all three it's pretty much a smattering um i would say it started when we first started the business it started with a lot of local small business owners and it, we really dealt with it directly the ceo um from there we've kind of expanded to more um national clientele that has more of a team and i've started dealing with more of like most of the time, to be honest, uh, they don't actually have like a marketing person in-house. So I end up kind of dealing with someone who it kind of got thrown on their lap. Like they, as a company, decided we want to do this, but they didn't have someone designated. And so they kind of threw it on to maybe like a financial officer or, you know, somebody else that could handle the marketing process. Um, but the ideal, you know, the ideal scenario who we've loved working with the most are people that do have someone, you know, in-house that deals with marketing, kind of knows what they want. But then also maybe if they do have a marketing department, we've dealt a little bit with that. And that is, it's definitely the most important thing is figuring out what the lines of communication are and creating a process that works within a process that exists for them. Um, but yeah, that's, we've kind of deal with all three of them. Right. So then um, when we're thinking through like the, the fact that they have someone already, right? So when you look at, you know, the things that you guys offer in your role and stuff like that, um, why is it that they bring on someone like you guys? When they already have someone in-house? Yes. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, it's because we, we provide a very specific specialty. Uh, we provide content marketing, which is kind of a, a sphere of marketing that not everyone has a forte in and they don't know how to achieve. Um, for example, if you're, if you have someone in-house that is marketing, most likely what they deal with is more of like buying billboards, buying TV, radio spots, um, maybe placing Google business and Facebook ads. And those are all things that generate direct ROI. But the reason why co companies and business owners come to us is because we're creating something that uh, builds a legacy. So when you think about Grant Cardone himself, you know, what he does, he started making videos about 14 years ago and that content, even though it didn't really serve like a sales process in the moment that he posted it, um, over that span of time, he created a following and relationships with people that served his scaling. Like he was able to find investors very easily. He was able to recruit talent that was driven and as motivated as he was, people that would be willing to deal with the, the high paced fast-paced workplace and then he was also able to you know start Cardone Capital where like people just in the masses were able to just invest in him without him really having to spend so much money in the cost of conversion because it was a cult following and right. so when we think about what we do it's like it's not really something that marketing directors tend to have a uh, versatility in or an education in um, they know that content creation is important but there's also a sea of content creators and as you know, you and I spoke about before the podcast started is sometimes content creators aren't really versed in um, marketing. Like they don't know how to make it a formula that will convert in the end. And so uh, having an agency that, that puts those pieces together, that finds like a content formula, provides you the videographers and the content creators, but then also knows the vision and the, and the vision, like the empire that you're building, that tends to be why they rely on us to, to achieve that. Right. So then... So when I typically think of content marketing, I'm thinking of awareness, right? Where like, cause you can accomplish that through an ad, but there's, it's more trust building. It's more telling the story and, and getting people to connect with those things. I've never really thought about it as a legacy builder. 
And I already feel like it's challenging to connect the ROI of awareness, right? But then how do you connect mm-hmm. the ROI of legacy? And now, now you have an example of it, right? But then they're looking like, okay, well, I only have $2,000 to spend this month. Uh, how do I get that money back? Like, how do you, like, can you do that? Or is it one of those things where like, they just have to believe so much in the legacy that you don't have to as much? That's a really great question. Now we have to deal with that every single day, every single day, you know, it's like they came in understanding that vision and, you know, excited about it. But then eventually over time, you know, the cost builds up and they're like, yeah, I'm spending this much money and I'm not seeing the results right now. And uh, truthfully, like I said, you know, Grant Cardone 14 years ago, when he first posted a video, he took two years to gain traction and to gain that return on investment. And so then to every single month, you know, pay an agency to do these things without seeing the benefit in the short term, it's it and then also yeah so it's it's definitely a difficult thing to do what i would say is we've tried to morph our agency to still serve some immediate roi needs while we're building the legacy so even though our specialty isn't going to be like the the we're not going to guarantee you the most amount of leads in any other agency or the most amount of roi what we are going to say is that you know while we're building your legacy we're going to run google ads we're going to make sure the content serves your seo in the short term so you know we're going to pay attention to what people are looking up. You know, what are the search terms that we can pay attention to so that your content uh, still puts you at the top of the page, you know, to make sure that you're still visible for sales and it will serve you in the immediate. But um, really that comes down to having a really great account executive team. You You need someone that can manage your client that is constantly reminding them of the wins that you're getting because sometimes those wins aren't as evident as I got 60 calls this week. Um, but yeah, I know it's, it's been a process for sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think that it's when you introduce that emotions in it, because I think you and I both know that like the legacy matters, that the fact that, uh, you know, whether it's Grant Cardone or it's, you know, any sort of executive influencer knows that, um, they have momentum because of it. And that's momentum super valuable. It's like you said with uh, the Cardone cap capital, like he didn't have to really like spend a bunch of time finding investors. So he just sends out a tweet. Hey, I have an opportunity. I know people will be pulling out their phones and sending them money right away. Mm-hmm. Um, that is hard to measure in the first two years, like you said. Um, but it's once you start having the pain of spending the money where it's like, no, <laughs> but yeah, I, no, I totally because- Go, go for oh, so I'm about it. I cut you off. But yeah, no, no. It's And when you think about it, when you think about a lot of other marketing agencies, what they're going to do is they're going to make you dependent and reliant. Like you're always going to need to pay them more. You're always going to need them there because um, the assets that we build sometimes, even just like short-term Christmas promos or short-term like Labor Day promos, those things have really specific numbers that are not going to be applicable next year. And so you're going to constantly have to pay to retarget the same audience create new content to hit, you know, a, a really specific sale. Whereas, you know, when we create evergreen uh, assets, you know, creative assets and like a legacy that reaches people on like a, a very human level that lasts, whether or not you choose to continue with us, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, I think you need both. You definitely need marketers that are in the short term promos because you need that cash flow to build your legacy. But yeah, it's, it's a hard process to, to translate. Yeah, no, that make that makes sense. Like, even just to uh, support that, I I ended up having a podcast with a guy who's the the president of uh, Men's Warehouse, 
and uh, he was talking about how they created some some content, some video ads that they ran on TV, and they ran it for years before they ended up having to reshoot them. And I'm like, just like, dude, could you imagine? <laughs> What a beautiful world world where you make a video once. Like, I don't even know what that feels like. Um, but you know, but that is the value of evergreen content where it's like, you can run it and run it and run it, repackage it, run it, run it, run it. And it's not something that's going to last for a month, like, or, you know, three months maybe for a Christmas campaign, but, um, okay, cool. So let me, let's transition just a little bit. Um, so since the time you started, at Wake Up Pueblo till now, what are some of the changes that you've seen in the marketing and creator space? Just even that, because that's only been like two years, right? Mm-hmm. Two? Well, no, it's yeah. actually only been a year. It's only been a year or so. What? I mean, a year and a half. Dang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what what have you seen change in like this last year and a half? In like the industry or in our yes. building? In the industry. Um. So honestly, I, I really more so look at, uh, I don't know about the year. I can say the last maybe five years, you know, if I were to really look at some momentous changes. Yeah. Um, and again, I always think of things in, in a very content marketing, you know, perspective. But what I see is that Apple TV, Amazon Prime, um, these were all businesses, you know, like Apple and Amazon were businesses that, you know, sold a product. And then they decided they understood the value of just entertainment content. They said, okay, we're gonna create streaming platforms. And then once they created those, the, the true tool of those platforms is actually to control attention, right? Because now they no longer have to pay some other you know, cable network to, to place their advertisement. They no longer have to go on you know, Facebook to pay for an advertisement. Now they own the platform and the platform, the bait is the content, but the true tool is the advertising. And so, Oh, and it, it goes back as long as history, right? We've always placed our ads where attention was. We placed it on radio, TV, newspaper, because it had like, that's just what, that's what we consume now. The content is um, currency. You know, it's, it's like, that's, and that's why there's so many 16 year olds that are making profit, really just making stupid content. And, and so what I have noticed is I think um, I've noticed that big businesses, corporate businesses are, controlling platforms and monetizing in ways that seem almost like separate from the product, which is like, it's immense, it's incredible. And then realizing that buyers um, are getting more intelligent. And so um, they kind of know when they're being advertised to. They know that they're being manipulated. They even can kind of tell when a certain race or a certain like type person is being thrown in front of them um in a certain way just to sway them just to win them over but it's not really like it's not like they're going to pay attention like is it an actually an lgbtq owned business is it actually a black woman owned business is it actually you know like female empowerment or are they just using me as a tool to to fuel them and so what i've noticed is that businesses are getting more and more um concerned with seeming real (laughs) <laughs> and you'll notice that some businesses are pretending to be real and some businesses are just, you know, like fully committed to just being as transparent as possible and that's benefiting them. Um, and so in the creator space, you're realizing that people are doing everything they can to almost like take away. They still want the content to look nice and they want the advertising, the marketing to look nice, but they're not trying so hard to be something or like put the show on. They're kind of like, uh, I was watching a TikTok the other day and it was, um, there was this tech company in California 
and they hired this just kind of like just average but successful TikToker and he just wanted that like he, they paid this TikToker to come in and just make content about their office culture you know just like the jokes they make the you know like them just the way they are and then sometimes giving just stupid advice about business or you know the team and so I noticed that it's not putting this like the goal no longer is to look like big and corporate the goal is to look you know real and genuine that also floods mm -hmm. into COVID-19 right the right. with COVID-19 people want to support local they don't like corporate they don't want to put money into a machine and so the more local you can feel and seem uh, the more successful the client is well I think that great that brings up a great point well for one all I can think of is um on both Twitter and LinkedIn there was so many comments about um brands completely abusing pride month for their own gains and i was like yeah i mean i guess it's always been true but i felt like people talked about it to me the most this year i don't know if it was just like i just noticed it more or if i was on those platforms more but people were talking about a lot that a lot about that and it's one of those things where like it actually is destroying the brand's credibility it's not building it um because people it's like shining a spotlight on the fact that they're completely disingenuous and that they don't give a crap about that and i'm not saying they have to but they're acting like they do and that there's a big mm -hmm. difference right you don't have to act like you care about something you don't care about but if, if you, you don't yeah 100%. pretend you do and then you don't you're basically like hey i just spent two million dollars to destroy my brand <laughs> like cool I, I want to visit the concept of like um, quality versus authenticity and, and how you see them converge in the idea of like the low production video. And I say low production, like I would view TikTok as low production video, right? In the sense that 100%. like, as, as I'm sure, uh, you know, since you were a videographer, you know, you're trying to make the colors good and make the lighting <laughs> look beautiful and like mm -hmm. make sure it's like sharp and crisp and there's no goofy movements and all these other things. And um but then there's like this authenticity kind of style, which is basically like someone takes their phone and just like sh running around their house shooting video. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's so authentic. <laughs> what is your thoughts on that? Like, how do you navigate that? How do you think about it? Does it bother you? Do you not give a crap? Like, I don't know, I'm curious. I think it, it comes down, it's, it's so interesting because um, you kind of have to have a balance of both, I think. Because when I think about um, like, Platforms like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, they've all pretty much, they can filter out bad quality content. And so the algorithms are always, always gonna favor um, high quality content. Like they can tell, you know, was this uploaded in 4K, 1080p, mm. you know, like what does the color look like? They, they can, they know all these things, right? And that's what the platforms are promoting. And so high quality will definitely make it easier for somebody trying to, to become present you know, like if they want to be known, that's the best way. But when it comes down to selfie videos and thinking more about like, um, you know, stories going live, um, more like the organic forms of content, I think that it's all like, in fact, with our clients, we encourage it. And we tell them that, you know, don't let perfection or don't let quality stop you from being present. So even the clients that maybe eventually we want to work with that maybe aren't ready for our services, just start, you know, like I, I don't, I'm not bothered at all by it at all, because I think that, um, content creation or just putting yourself out there and trying to hone in on your messages and improve your public speaking abilities. Those are all things that are going to serve you in the long run. And we too often limit our uh, willingness to do so just because we have this idea of what quality should look like. Um, and then the end, you know, like 
the, the thing that we always say as an agency is like, do you know how much money you're losing by not being present? We can't necessarily like, you know, like we can't quantify that. You have no clue. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think that it's like those numbers, like, I don't know, I, I made a video once about, you know, like reach and like how important it is. And like, when you think about, you know, if you're posting once or posting three times or posting 10 times, like each time you're reaching people, you're reaching a new audience and how valuable that potentially could be because you just never know if it's going to be the right kind of people that you're putting your stuff in front of. And, um, and yeah, that is a missing piece. I guess the question, it begs the question then, do you know how much damage you're doing by putting out the wrong content, right? But then, so how do you define like the wrong content, right? Because there's, there's quality, but, but what I'm hearing you say is that it's not necessarily the actual video quality that matters as much. It's the quality of what they're saying or, or the story about they're telling, would that be accurate? 100%. Like, I mean, again, I'll go back a little bit and say camera quality does matter for really optimizing the algorithm, but in terms of what people are willing to consume, it definitely comes down to the contents of your mind and your, your words rather than the quality of your content. Right. It's that silver bullet thing, right? There's no silver mm -hmm. bullet at the end of the day. It's like, video quality does matter, but it's not the only thing that matters. Being authentic matters, but it's not the only thing that matters. And so I guess in, in for, you know, someone who's dealing with strategy, like you are every day, it's like, how do these things converge where we can have high quality and authentic and, uh, you know, click worthy and viral, you know, mm -hmm. I say that loosely, but, um, yeah, and having yeah. all those things converge. Yeah. You know, can't you just make content that goes viral? Come on. Come on, Mia. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I do want to talk about, you know, like when you mentioned, is there such a thing as bad content? You know, like I would say that um, first I want to simplify the process for anyone listening saying, yes, yeah, you need to perfectly balance the idea of high quality and the contents of what you're speaking about, but just creating content and getting those reps in will tell you what is good and bad content. It really comes down to trial and error, you know, to, to put something out there. And if it continues to flop for probably over, you know, I would say three or four months, then yes, the contents of what you're speaking about is worthless. Um, or, you know, granted, like, you know, you've got to also train, like, I mean, there's so many things to test from like how algorithms are going to rank you, you know, what, you know, copy are you supposed to write? But the only thing that you should not talk about or not make video about is probably going to be like, if you're a business owner, I would say stay away from politics, religion, you know, all the no-nos. Like really that's, yeah. I think the only wrong way you can go. Um, I think talking about your team, talking about your family and talking about just like what makes you human and real, those are all good things. Um, the strategies I would use to start honing in on what content is good for you and will help you grow is probably going to be like, um, not even just related to your product. I think one of the big mistakes people do is if they're going to start making content, they just talk about the product, 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 sales, sales, sales. I think that's not going to serve you in the long run because no one wakes up in the morning being like, I want to be sold today. <laughs> you know, no, no one yeah. wants to go on social media to be sold. And so I would start trying to figure out how does your product fit into their lives and what pro common pro like problems does your audience have that you can solve with or without your product? So when I think about, you know, like selling mattresses, which is our side business, um, I would say, let's talk about, you know, setting good habits for success or setting good habits to sleep or like what foods um, will help you sleep better. You know, and those are all things that are going to help my consumer or help my client 
Um, and then if they're ready to buy, they already know and trust me and they feel like, wow, I'm an ally. Um, but yeah, no, I would say just don't focus on sales only. And then also stay away from, you know, the three big no's of, you know, right. religion, politics, and whatever else. All the same uh, cocktail party rules apply. Uh, 100%. <laughs> um, okay, so you guys, well, from what I remember, because because I've, I've gone on your guys' like Wake Up Pueblo website a couple times, and I know that even in the, the show, one of the things that... Um, uh, Grant Cardone talked a lot about is like omni-channel marketing, like just being everywhere, right? Because, you know, his, his logic behind that is, which makes sense, is that, you know, I, you know, me as a human being, I spend most of my time on Instagram, right? So if you're spending all this time trying to market on Twitter, like you will never reach me. Um, but there's also people who spend all their time on Twitter who aren't on Instagram. So it makes sense to post to both. Um, now, obviously, you and I both know that the same tactics that work on Instagram don't work on Twitter, the same tactics don't work on TikTok. But I would love to hear your guys's uh, what you guys have learned in that, right? Because I think at the end of the day, um, one of the things that you know, like the CMOs and the marketing directors need to hear is, how do you repackage? Right? You have a story, how do you repackage that in a way that's valid on all these platforms? Because I think, companies get scared to post on TikTok, but it's like at the end of the day, that's repackaged content, right? It's not like scary. It's not even all that crazy new. It's just a different format. So how do you guys work through that things? How do you guys repackage? How do you guys talk through cut? I mean, I'm, I'm really open-ended question here, so I apologize. You can feel to start <laughs> no, wherever good. you want to start, but how do you guys work through that, right? Because that's something you guys do every single day. And I'd love to hear your perspective on that. That's a great question because we have definitely evolved from the very first, like, I mean, like the omnipresence has always stayed, but how we approach omnipresence has changed. So at first, yeah, we were posting the exact same content and all the same platforms. And then kind of what we've, what I've evolved the strategy into is focusing on, like, I'll do an analysis of what the client needs and where the customer base is. And then I'll try to create content for the platform that I know that their customer base lives for the most part. So for example, I'm working with one client who I know most of their client base is going to be looking for information and education on YouTube. And so I'm creating all the content for YouTube. And so all the content is purposed for that platform in terms of formatting, but then I'm still going to pretty much cut all those pieces of content down to post on other platforms. I'm going to format the actual like size of it for the right platforms, but I'm not trying to like, we want to be present on every single platform anyways, because you know that like if you can, if you have the content, even if it's not perfect for the platform, if it's there and someone does happen to look you up on Instagram, does happen to look you up on Twitter, at least you're present. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because again, you don't know what would happen if you weren't, you know, you don't know if you would make that sale or not. So we try to make sure that they're present on every single platform, but then making sure that we're still focusing on the success of one and making sure the content is formatted for one success. So I'm building for YouTube and then I'm letting that content kind of filter down to the rest of the platforms. And if there's like, a benefit great and then as they kind of increase on packages or are willing to expand their services then we can start creating specific verticals for each platform um and that's kind of how we've evolved okay so if i'm hearing you right depending on their budget depends on whether or not you're creating specifically for a platform or whether you're repurposing for a platform yes yes okay mm -hmm. okay cool no that, that makes a lot of sense i know that like for us 
not to call myself out because it was a, it was not a, it was not a positive experience is, uh, you know, I would create these like educational videos, short ones, and I posted them on TikTok. and either I was doing something massively wrong or just like nobody goes on TikTok to learn anything. And Ooh. I was like, huh? So we just like stopped posting on TikTok until I could come up with a better idea. Cause I'm like, at the end of the day, I don't know how to make, uh, the same content I put on YouTube funny. And so I needed to think through that before I start posting on TikTok again. So it makes sense that you would kind of need to create it specifically for a platform. Um, but I do love what you said, right? Because I think that's one thing that people miss a lot is the audience, right? And so what, what I'm hearing you saying is you guys spend some time with the client and you guys talk through where the audience is and what they want as like a first step. I'm assuming that's part of like the, a lot of that onboarding conversation you have as well. Right. Correct. Yeah. Cool. So what, so my experience has been not good for education on TikTok. Has that been your guys's experience too? Or how, how do you guys think about succeeding on that platform specifically? Cause that's still kind of the hot topic. Yeah. So to be honest, we haven't dabbled too much in TikTok. Um, okay. The biggest reason is because um, the amount, like the frequency that you should be posting on TikTok is just about every single day, if not more. Um, and you need to be going live. Like the lives is actually like TikTok is has been real, like if you even if you get thousands and thousands of followers on TikTok, TikTok is going to say you have to go live and they'll start kind of stunting you the same way Instagram kind of stunts you when you don't use all of their you know features. It mm. starts like um, limiting your success. And so uh, it just became a little bit too demanding for us to manage that for our clients. However, what I've noticed is um, like I have found that education does work really well on TikTok, but um, it's kind of like you have to, you really do have to niche down and you have to niche down probably more than I would like to. Um, mm. And I think that, I don't know how to explain it. It's kind of like, I would honestly say for TikTok, it takes a while anyways, and the algorithms have gotten a little bit more picky. And I honestly, I don't think your success has anything to do with people not wanting educational content. I think that um, the algorithm just kind of is under improvement, to be honest. Well, I've heard of people talking about like they've literally just deleted their account and started a new one because in their opinion, and I'd be curious of what mm -hmm. you've heard differently, once TikTok places you in a category and it doesn't work and it doesn't know where else to put you, you're done. No, I've heard that as well. I've heard that okay. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's sad. Which is, gonna... <laughs> it is super sad. And that's kind of also why we avoid it because again, it's so finicky and I feel like it's it's, it decides very quickly whether or not you're going to make it or not, especially mm. recently, uh, which is also why we don't mess with it. Um, in terms of internal time, it also just like, we haven't, we just haven't spent the time to invest in, in TikTok, but I would say it's a valid, like it, business owners should, I would never discourage not being on TikTok, but I would say you really personally, like on a day-to-day -day basis need to pivot very quickly and you need to be committed to being consistent on one, one very, very specific topic. Not only one specific topic, but I've noticed that you need to commit to a single series. Like it needs to be the exact same series over and over and over again so that people know what to expect from you until you get big enough to where they're more forgiving and they're just willing to accept everything you've got. But at first they're gonna want the exact same thing over and over and over again. And it's just, it's a little bit taxing. Yeah, definitely like a 10% of the strategy <laughs> type situation, it seems like. Um, 100%. Okay, cool. So what other, okay, so I just, I'm, this is an open-ended question, but like just thinking out loud, um, 
you know, when you're thinking about some of the biggest fears some of the clients have when it comes to uh, posting and creating content, what are some of those big fears that uh, business owners and marketers have that you're encountering? Number one fear is perfection. Um, what I've noticed is that, you know, like maybe the message isn't honed in right or um, they're going to pay attention to maybe like, oh, I just don't like that one strand of hair, you know, that's, that's sticking out. Or I, I like, I just don't like how I said that one thing, you know what I mean? And it's, it's kind of like um, frequency is obviously the, the preference of all these platforms right now. Mm-hmm. And you do need to kind of overcome that idea of perfection and accept that not everything is going to hit, but you need to put a lot out there to figure out what will hit. And then also like you, there is actually this, this philosophy by uh, Brendan something. He uh, wrote 1 million followers and he talks about mm-hmm. how you need to go really large. Like he hit 1 million followers in 30 days. And he explained that only 2000 of them maybe is the true followers, like the true fans. Right. So he hit a million and even with a million followers, and you see this a lot with other influencers, you see them have like 600,000, right? They still only get maybe a hundred likes, you know, which is the same as somebody that maybe has a 2000 following. And the truth is, as he explains that, you know, first you need to just jump off the cliff. You need to post content, you know, and you need to figure out what works, what doesn't you need to test. So do not be afraid to, to post something that doesn't hit and to post something that maybe isn't perfect. And then the third thing, or the second thing is, um, it's, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> it happens to me um, all the time. I'm not judging, I promise. I know, I know, I know. But um, shoot. Okay, so there is. We're talking um, about biggest okay, fears. That, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. So the second thing is when you're not seeing the engagement that you think. So even when you grow a following and realizing that growing a following is much harder these days. So you, first they're, they're scared of it not being fast enough, right? So first when you overcome that and then you realize, okay, I've gotten you know, thousands of followers now, but my engagement is still low. And that's really scary because people are afraid that something's not working, that they just got maybe a bunch of spam followers, you know, like bots, you know, but the truth is, is that you have to go really, really large to find 2000 true fans or 1000 true fans. And there's gonna be just a lot of kind of passive viewership. There's gonna be a lot of people that like you enough to follow you, but maybe not like you enough to like you, you know, like your post. Yeah. And so, um, to kind of just be more like just aware of the opportunities that being present provides. And that's kind of what I try to, what I'm learning to try to communicate is. So for example, what uh, Brandon did when he hit a million followers is even though he still had low engagement, he still hadn't even found his 2 million or 2000 true fans within that 1 million. He leveraged the followers and just the number, the social credibility to get, um, you know, press, you know, to, Mm. to write a book, to, kind of get other professional opportunities like sponsorships that didn't really pay attention to the engagement level. And then from there- (laughs) For the idiots who think that follower count is everything, yes. (laughs) Yes, yes, and they exist, they 100% exist. But as you do that and as you take those opportunities, uh, your 1 million is gonna snowball into 10 million very, very quickly. And so when that happens, then you start, that's when your true fans really start rolling in. And again, they just, it's the, it's the patience is king, you know, content is king and patience is king, uh, or maybe content is king and patience is queen. I don't know, but right. getting people to um, overcome that fear that again, engagement is going to be low for a while. Following is going to take a while and to, to post, even though it's not perfect, those are the three things that I have to, to fight for. Right. No, that makes sense. 
you know it was interesting even too like the idea of the press and stuff like that it was um i was reading a really interesting podcast the other day talking about how like people give this argument that um like these celebrities are not spending ads and like all of the reach is organic and all that noise and it was like you do realize like the rock was in a movie that spent millions of dollars advertising the movie and that's why people followed him on his instagram right like and i had never connected those dots together i was like that's crazy like someone spent money on advertising maybe he didn't spend money on advertising but somebody did uh like millions of it um and so yeah it's just crazy just uh, I don't know. I really don't know how that had to do anything to do with our point, but I just, <laughs> I, oh, it was, it was just the, the yeah. press part, right? Is that like that mm. stuff matters. Like it will work. It will get that attention because at the end, end of the day, like everybody, including celebrities need help uh, building their platform. Um, see, it, I knew it was going to come around. I had a point in bringing that up. Oh, I got you. I got you. I know. Because we like nerd out a little bit and then just right? kind of get down this pathway and don't even know where it's headed. But I got you. That is so true. Um, but you got to be comfortable with that when you're creative, you know? Um, okay, cool. <laughs> so then um, since we're kind of coming uh, towards the end of our time, I wanted to end with some juicy details. So um, I wanted to start talking about, because, you know, we talked about, people like you and the, and the people you work with directly being really on the front lines. And so maybe this is too broad of a question because maybe it's just more industry or, or business or audience specific, but what are some of the things that are people that people are doing as, as creative and so on and so forth that is really working right now? It's hmm. a good question. So I would say um, our model at least has always been, um, Red Bull. Uh, so when you look at how Red Bull really commits to its community, so you think about, you know, athletes, uh, extreme ex sports, extreme sports athletes, and how their content is focused on the consumer and their ideal image, you know, like showing their story, um, their journey, and it really kind of like the idea, like the philosophy kind of boils back down to the product saying like, hey, if you're this extreme, if you're driven, if you're kind of crazy this is the product for you you know like that that all boils down but the content that works is the one that's not about the product the product is tied in very loosely at the end but it's about the consumer and it's about um not just like you can't just tell stories all the time it can't just be like hey you went from point a to point b it needs to be like the the joy the things that people are naturally consuming in that market you know like if you think of the kid next door that's a skateboarder that wants to be in extreme sports one day you got to think about like, what does he want to learn? What does he want to know? What does he care about? And who's his idol? You can hit all those in your content. You're going to be just fine. Um, is that, was that the right answer to your question? I feel like I might've gotten away from it. No, I think that's an incredible point though. And okay. I think that's worth um, people thinking about like, maybe it did answer the question <laughs> because no, and the reason I'm, I'm sitting there like thinking through that because one, I'm an internal processor. So I'm, I'm sitting there thinking about that anyways, but, um, I know I definitely have been guilty about thinking things, uh, like the, the businesses in general just aren't storytelling enough, which I do think is true. Um, but what I'm hearing you say is that it's not just that, that there's more to it than that is not just, well, maybe it's just not the story of the brand is actually what we're talking mm. about. It's not storytelling the brand it's storytelling the lifestyle. Correct. 
Yes, 100%. There we go. Okay. No, that makes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I mean, like, uh, let's face it, like, uh, I mean, because Red Bull has, a, what, the magazine uh, publication that they do, and they got, like, a lot, they sponsor events, right? Because they do, like, full-on, like, like, BMX things that are, like, by Red Bull. It's, it's really impressive, to be honest. Um, 100%. Like they have their hands and a lot of things. They're like the, like when like Gary V talks about every business being a media business, I feel like they are 100% that because if you look at it, like Nike does a good job of presenting the idols of like that skateboard kid that you're talking about. Like they do a good job of presenting those idols, um, you know, through, you know, basically what is influencer marketing since the dawn of time with having whoever's cool wearing their shoes um mm. but that isn't necessarily those other pieces like sponsoring the events having a newspaper all those other things that red bull does where they're telling the stories not about them at all really and yet there it is brand awareness legacy building the whole nine yards yeah but to go back to nike the one thing that nike does do and they probably do some other pieces of content like this in series but nike did this thing with like shoe lines, right? So they would either feature the creator of the shoe or uh, recently they created the first ever sports dancers category shoe. And what they did is they brought in a really popular dance crew called the Kinjas. They brought them in and they helped, they had like the shoe designer and the Kinjas, the dance crew kind of collaborate on finding the perfect features for a dance shoe. And so the content follows them through the creation of it, how they created it and all of their kind of shoe content, you know, videos on YouTube right now are saying like, Hey, these are the stylistic choices we make. This is the features of the shoe. Um, less so about the features of the shoe though, more about like why, like the value, the inspiration, even like if they do something maybe for like Black History Month, like the culture of it, you know, like why they, you know, like, and then they bring in the history of black culture to make sure it's mm. like holistic and it's, it's yeah. bringing in like the true value of the month. So Nike is definitely doing it in some ways, but yeah, to your point, Red Bull is like, prolific at not just telling the story but being in the story like they are the ones running the events not just sponsoring the events they're the ones that are like um teaching kids how you know to to do some of these things with some of their content um or finding the right influencers to do so so it's yeah it's they're killing it they're all killing it yeah it's kind of interesting it's kind of like um i you know i don't research everything they do so this is a little bit of a maybe a naive um broad stroke but like i feel like that is the same thing on like the physical like in-person part that you're talking about with amazon with amazon prime right amazon prime's owning the platform they're the ones creating the stories and they get to advertise on it and in the mm -hmm. same way if like red bull is creating an event for you know extreme skateboarding or something like that they own the story they own the platform and they could advertise on it. Um, right. I'm sure they're doing stuff digitally because they'd be nuts if they're not. And the fact is they're probably just too innovative to not do it. Um, but I feel like that's kind of the same thing. Like they're creating a space for the story to be told and to connect with the right people. That's just like, that's like step, that's like step four and five, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're trying to get businesses to just talk about someone other than themselves. And that's like the hardest part. And then like, now you have these businesses that are like so much past that. Like they're not even telling their own stories anymore because they don't even have to. Mm -hmm. They're creating environments where stories are told. 100%. Boom.
that just blew my mind. <laughs> no, this is crazy. I'm so glad yeah. you're like, like everything you're saying is just like connecting so many dots for me. Um, well, thank you. So just share a cool story. What is as, as a creator or maybe a strategist, right? What's like the coolest project you've been a part of so far? Hmm. It's funny. Cause like every time I get a new client, it becomes the new favorite, you know what I mean? Okay. I'm like, this yeah. is my favorite. And then, but, um, one of the ones that actually, this is, this is a crazy story. So, um, our very first national client is out in Florida and he's shipping logistics. That first shipping logistics, like how can you make that interesting? How can you make that fun? You know, oh, we have no idea. Sexy? What we're that's to. weird. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, oh, it's, it's so incredible. And we were kind of nervous because again, it was like, we had to show up, we had to suit up and we didn't necessarily know what the system looked like going out to an Astro client. So I had checklists. I made sure that we had everything dot dot and we go out there, we meet their team. Um, and like, we're a very family oriented type business. You know, we're very personable, every single one of us. And so when we meet our client, it's not just like a client, like there's, there's a lot of connection there. And they were very much so the same. Their entire staff was a family. They're called Inexpress Southwest Florida. And, um, and I know I can use their name because I'll explain to you why later. We go out there, it's a successful shoot. We come back and they love us so much. They're like, man, we've never met so many incredible people from just one city. We have to go visit. So our client, Anthony Escobedo, um, comes down to Pueblo. He does kind of like this thing where since he does shipping logistics for small to medium-sized businesses, he pretty much goes door to door and we film in through the process of um, kind of showing people how we can solve all their problems, especially during COVID-19 because getting the materials you need, getting everything to where they need to be during this time when shipping seems to be like the scariest thing for small business owners, he oh, yeah. solved a lot of their issues and, and made a lot of more efficiencies. And so after filming that process, he was like, Pablo is incredible. And then he leaves and two days later, I get him and his wife telling me they're gonna move down here permanently. What? And yeah, 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 yeah. So just two days and they, they were here within a month you know, wow. like a month and a half, actually. So we went out there uh, a couple months later. He comes here for a day, two days, actually leaves the two days. I get a call. That they're going to move. They moved down to Pueblo. And uh, now they're not only living here and running a separate franchise of, you know, in Express, they're also kind of integrated into our process. So Anthony became our like sales um, director. So he started managing our account executives to get a little bit better about how we manage our clients and how we yeah. you know, deliver our product and advocate for our clients in the building. And so our client became our, you know, our coworker or peer. And, um, it's, it's definitely been like, we've learned so much from them and we get to be their ally every single day and we get more proximity to them to tell more stories. And so it's, that's been, it's been incredible. That's awesome. No, that, that, I mean, wow, that's, <laughs> but that ought to say something about you guys' company culture. So that, that's really amazing. Awesome. Yeah, it's, well, been, hey, it's been cool. Yeah. Well, hey, I really appreciate you being on here. Um, if you don't mind staying on for a second after we end. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate you being on here for sharing your, your thoughts. And um, yeah, just bringing a lot of value and super excited to have you I don't know. It's just, it's just cool. The, the new, new season of sharing stuff from creators is just really awesome. And I really appreciate all the perspective you have and, and uh, thank you for sharing. No problem. Thanks for having me.